You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. This episode is brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. With the changing seasons and the gathering together around the holidays, make sure your immune system is built up and protected with the Bear Clover Tincture. It's now 30% off through the entire month of December, so if you're looking to keep you or your loved one's immunity protected this winter, check out the Bear Clover Tincture. Go to AncestralElements.com, navigate to the Supplements page where you can find more information on the Bear Clover Tincture and Colostrum and Liver Supplements. Now, here's the episode. Hi and welcome back. This is episode 54 of the Ancestral Elements podcast, Demystifying Diversity in Nutrition. And happy winter solstice, everybody. This is the first day of winter. I personally always like to kind of take a really easy day on the winter solstice. It's a great time to kind of reflect and kind of get quiet with inside yourself. For me, I use it to kind of kind of think about what I want to accomplish as the days start to get longer and warmer. And it gives me kind of something to look forward to. I know that, you know, we're just getting into winter and the days feel short and the nights are long. And it's always kind of nice for me to know that there's a natural kind of break in the busyness of life. And winter is a great time to kind of slow down a little bit and to just take a little bit extra time than you normally would when you're rushing around. So all that to be said, happy winter solstice. I hope you guys can gather with some family and friends and have a good time, you know, make it a celebratory time. Okay, so on this episode, I want to talk about diversity in eating a varied diet. There seems to be a lot of confusion surrounding this idea of eating a varied diet, not just on an individual level, but kind of as a whole when we talk about food or nutritional diversity. Most people don't actually have a good sense of what that really means. So in this episode, we're going to dive into kind of the nuances of what it actually means to eat a varied diet. And spoiler alert, it doesn't mean eating the rainbow is going to bring you diversity. And like with a lot of general guidelines in the nutrition field, you'll hear these concepts kind of thrown out there, you know, eat a varied diet. But most of the time, there's no clarifying follow-ups to saying something like that. So I'm going to break this idea of diversity down surrounding nutrition, and hopefully you'll gain an understanding and you'll be able to actually implement it in your daily lives. Okay, so the general kind of consensus throughout the nutrition field and even just within your individual lives, most of the time when people are talking about diversity, they think of diversity in the plant kingdom. So things like eating the rainbow, right? You'll hear that, but it really tells you nothing about diversity. Just because something has a different color to it doesn't mean that it's diverse. It just means it has a different phenotype. And a phenotype is just a distinguishing characteristic. So you can quite literally eat the exact same species with different phenotypes and be getting virtually no diversity. If you've ever seen rainbow chard, right? Technically, you would be eating the rainbow if you ate rainbow chard, right? There's reds and yellows and greens and purples, but Swiss chard is Swiss chard. You know, it doesn't really bring you different nutrient diversity, at least not in a holistic sense. On the micro level, it'll bring you a little bit 
of different nutrients, but I don't even like to say that because that's not even necessarily true. It's negligible, the difference between colors. You know, another example would be like purple kale and green kale. You know, pigment change, yeah, it'll do a little bit, but not much. You know, you're still getting the same kind of bulk of nutrients in there and anti-nutrients, which when talking about anti-nutrients, those are the nutrients that can be a little bit unbalanced if you're over-consuming a certain type of kingdom of life. It could be plants, it could be animals, it could be fungi, protist, whatever. I mean, any kingdom, really. If you're overeating, you know, one specific type of food, then there's going to be some ramifications that come out of that. So when I talk about diversity, and you guys hear me talk about diversity, what I'm talking about is actual species and kingdom diversity. You know, it's pretty easy to understand the differences between each kingdom of life. You know, we know there's differences between the animal kingdom and the plant kingdom and the fungi kingdom and protist kingdom, right? Easy differences to spot. Now, when you start getting into the species diversity, that can become a little bit tricky because there's so many species that are now hybridized through this practice of domestication and selective breeding. It's muddied a lot of the water between species, especially in the plant kingdom. You know, there's obviously crossover in species in the animal kingdom and fungi and protist and bacteria, but in the plant kingdom and the world of botany, you know, it's vast the amount of crossover there is. And it can be a good thing. It does bring unique phenotypic diversity, but that's what it is. It's phenotype diversity, not species diversity. And when it comes to nutrition, that can become an issue because most people eat the same species and don't even realize that they're eating the same species. They think they're getting good variety in their diet. They think they're getting good diversity when they actually aren't. So understanding the difference between species diversity and phenotypic diversity is the key to really unlocking the potential in nutrition. And I'll give you an example of this. I posted uh, earlier last week on my Instagram about kind of this very thing, the nightshade family, which is so things like tomatoes, potatoes, eggplant, bell pepper, all of that is the same species. Again, huge phenotypic diversity, right? The difference between a potato and a bell pepper, that's huge phenotypic diversity, but it's still the same species. So with something like nightshades, you're getting heavy, heavy alkaloids in there. Things like solanin and tropane, altropa, and datura, heavy alkaloids that have major effects not only on your nutrition, but your physiology and how your organs can function. I mean, something like nutmeg, which is a nightshade, I mean, it can cause you to hallucinate. There's a lot of nightshades that are highly hallucinogenic, and you've got to be careful when taking those plants in, which is why, you know, this time of year, everybody loves drinking eggnog and things, because a lot of those plants have compounds that kind of make things a bit uh, ethereal, if you will. Um, yeah. And, you know, Historically, winter and the winter solstice in particular was the time of year you took those heavier alkaloids because it kind of takes you out of your normal homeostatic conditions. And a lot of those plants are used as medicines. You know, that's the thing when people kind of demonize plants. You know, I mean, you'll, especially from, you know, an extreme kind of diet community, something like carnivore or even keto in a lot of ways. 
will demonize a lot of plants, you know, and it's like how many of those people are taking medications that come from those plants, those very plants that they're demonizing? A lot of people, you know, there's a lot of doctors saying that plants are, you know, terrible for your health and they shouldn't be consumed, but then they're prescribing medication made from those plants. So plants have great medicinal value. And if taken wisely and you get enough diversity in that plant kingdom and you're not over-consuming basically the four species of plants that we really mess with phenotypes on, then you're going to be just fine. But that's the problem with our current kind of domestication and now kind of global food system is that we've taken basically four species of plants. I mean, there's more, but we've kind of pioneered this major change in phenotypes with four different species, which are Brassica oleracea, Solencia, which is nightshades, Allium, which is your garlic and onions, and then Apapisa, which is carrot, parsley, anise, coriander, celery. These four species make up about 60% of all the vegetables that are bought in the U.S. 60%. Sometimes it's more. Sometimes it's closer to 65%. Depends on the numbers you're looking at. But that was from this last year, 2020. And, you know, certain vegetables are also, you know, thrown in there. And this isn't including fruit, you know. And while there's nothing wrong with eating these four different species of plants. They're great species. I mean, and they have a ton of variety thanks to domestication. But people think they're getting actual variety in their diet when they're eating these types of plants. Most people don't realize that a tomato and a potato are the same species of food or that, you know, an onion and garlic and a shallot are the same or that parsley and carrot or that parsley and celery are the same. Like people don't really understand that because all they see is phenotypes, right? If you hold up a carrot <laughs> and celery next to each other, you would never think that they are the same species because they're so different in their phenotype. Now, if you grow and you garden, you'll understand what I'm talking about a little bit more if you grow your own food and garden because you'll become familiar with certain species that you plant for crops. And that's the thing, like even in farmer's markets, there isn't a lot of diversity because people aren't going to eat vegetables and fruits that they have no idea what they are and how to work with them. It's just not going to happen. I mean, you might get curious every now and again and buy something completely new that you've never seen and worked with. But as far as your base kind of nutrition on fruits and vegetables, the majority of people aren't going to venture way outside their comfort zone. I mean, I don't necessarily, you know, I eat a lot of carrots and celery and parsley and onions and garlic and tomatoes, right? There's nothing wrong with those foods, but when you're over consuming them and you're thinking that, you know, I'll have tomatoes tomorrow and bell pepper the next day, you're not getting diversity in your diet, not, at least not in the context of actual ecology and even really in the context of nutrition. You know, again, there are some minor differences between tomatoes and bell peppers. But as far as on a genetic level and what it does to your genetics and your metabolism, it's really not that different. You know, there's over 400,000 distinct plant species, and about 300,000 of those could be consumed with the right preparations. And we're eating four of those species primarily, just four. That's it, at least when it comes to vegetables, you know. So 
when people and nutritionists and dietitians and doctors tell you to eat color or tell you to eat the rainbow when it comes to fruits and vegetables. You can be eating the rainbow, most likely you're eating the rainbow in just a handful of species, which is a mistake because there's so much more to be feeding your body with. And if you're only eating in a really narrow species window like that, then it starts to really change your body. It changes your physiology. It changes your microbiome. It changes how your food gets broken down nutritionally. You know, and then if you get really narrow and you stick to something like the brassica family, where you get a bunch of cruciferous vegetables like that, then you could potentially lead to autoimmune disease, something like Hashimoto's, because your iodine is so depleted from your body, it could really wreck your thyroid. And that's not to say something like cabbage or broccoli or cauliflower doesn't have its use in the kitchen and in your diet, because it absolutely can and should. But if that's all you're eating, you know, if your vegetable consumption is super narrow like that, and you're eating a lot of that, then it's going to eventually become an issue. You know, it may not lead to something as extreme as Hashimoto's or goiters in the neck, but it can severely disrupt metabolism and your nutrition status if you're not careful. And so this advice of eating color, you know, you, you eat with your eyes and yeah, that's all true, but you need to know what you're getting into and what you're putting into your body a little bit on a species level, not just on a phenotypic level. And that's the difference between diversity and phenotype. It's diversity should be within species. So you have your kingdoms, which you should be eating from all five kingdoms, because that's going to allow you to eat a huge variety of species in every single kingdom. But if you're only eating chicken from the animal kingdom, broccoli from the plant kingdom, and, you know, <laughs> working out twice a day, you know, like a lot of bodybuilders do, skinless chicken breast and broccoli, maybe with a little bit of rice to get some carbohydrates, white rice, you know, that's hardly any diversity. And people live like that for years. I mean, I've seen it, you know. It's very detrimental to, again, your overall nutrition status, but especially your microbiome. Because when it comes to developing a microbiome that can really utilize the food that it's taking in, it's got to have diversity. And if it doesn't, then the bacteria species in your gut, the viral species, the protist species, the archaea species, they have to get super narrow. Because then basically... Only a certain subsection will break those nutrients down for metabolizing into metabolites. And so feeding your body just a really narrow window of food like that basically will increase a certain subset of the species in your microbiome and have to decrease or suppress another subset depending on what nutrients are coming in. Now that can be good if you're dealing with some health issues. But if you're looking for just overall balance and really trying to hone in on a healthy diet, and you're not trying to battle with something like an autoimmune disease or obesity or heart disease, the general rule of thumb is the more diversity you get through your food, the more diversity you're going to get in your microbiome. Different types of food you can get in, the better your microbiome is going to balance out. And I want to be careful here because there can be kind of too much of a good thing. Sometimes if you have way too much diversity and you're not kind of getting nutrients in first and all you're trying to do is feed your microbiome, that can be an issue and it's a mistake. You should always 
seek nutrient density over trying to supply your microbiome because your body needs its initial macro and certain micronutrients to do its daily kind of function, whether it's, you know, the basal metabolic rate that you're currently always under or cellular repair. You need a certain degree of actual nutrients in your body always. So, you know, eating a poor diet and trying to supplement with, you know, pro and prebiotics is futile and actually not healthy. You need good nutrition. Nutrition first, then worry about the microbiome. And that's why if you guys have listened to this podcast for a long time, you'll know why I push a five kingdom diet because that allows you tons of variety while getting really good nutrition. You need them side by side. You need great nutrition and you need great diversity so it can supply your microbiome and keep you well balanced out. You need both. You need high nutrient value and high diversity. So, you know, if you're eating chicken, beef, fish out of the animal kingdom, brassicas, alliums, you know, a few other fruits and some vegetables thrown in there, it's not very good variety. It's pretty low variety. There can be good nutrient density in those foods, but unless you're getting enough variety in, then the microbiome is going to suffer and your overall metabolism is going to suffer as a result. You're not going to have much variety. You know, that's not variety, but that's typically what Americans eat. We eat beef, chicken, a little bit of fish, vegetables. We eat onions, garlic, carrots, broccoli, celery, tomato, potato. Corn is the biggest species we eat because it's in everything that's processed. So everything from high fructose corn syrup to a lot of fillers are based out of corn. You know, like I said, we're basically eating from a handful of species when we're eating specifically vegetables. Fruit can be more varied. Obviously, there's a lot of hybridization that goes on with fruit, but it's a little bit easier to kind of distinguish fruit than it is sometimes vegetables. So really, the thing to remember and to really keep in your mind is high nutrient value, high diversity. And if you do that, then your body's going to be far more balanced than somebody else eating a very narrow species diet. You know, the other thing to think about when it comes to diversity is, especially with plants, is how they're grown and or produced. You know, and it's not something we think a lot about, but your hydroponically grown arugula, baby arugula that you buy in a plastic tub in the produce section, really doesn't have much going for it. It's fed by artificial light with artificial nutrients, so nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, basically, and it's had no interaction with an actual environment. It's closed off to the world. That's a pretty genetically dead food. I mean, you're still going to pull a little nutrition from it, but it's not going to be the same as eating arugula that you grew in the ground with beneficial mycelium and the elements shaping it and honing it. The genetics aren't the same. I mean, lettuce is a pretty fragile kind of genetic species anyway, but there's a difference in nutrition content and a difference in genetics, which is kind of, people don't often think about the genetics of the food that they're taking in affecting their own genetics, but that's what really it all kind of comes out to be. You're just taking in genetics to feed your own genetics. And if you're taking in weak kind of 
very soft genetics, it's not going to be very good for you. You know, imagine, I think it's easier to probably picture in the animal kingdom. You know, when you look at an animal that has been really poorly treated, right? Malnourished, it's sick, it's unhealthy, you know, needs to be propped up with antibiotics and, you know, it's not eating a biological diet it should be eating. I mean, that's a sick animal, right? You're taking in an animal's genetics that are sick. And of course, you're going to have negative outcomes because of that. I mean, that's something to really keep in mind is, yes, you will gain, quote unquote, nutrition. You'll gain macro and some micronutrients from that feedlot animal or hydroponically grown lettuce, but it's not optimal. And if you do that throughout your life, day after day, year after year, while limiting diversity, it's going to create a lot of disruption and a lot of challenges for your body because it's not getting actually fed what it needs to be fed. And I think probably anybody listening to this podcast, you know, can kind of understand and picture that, that, you know, some factory farmed feedlot is pretty disgusting and it's not producing healthy animals. And you don't want to be eating that stuff. Yeah, I mean, ethically, it's awful as well, but it's awful nutritionally just as much so, you know, and it's not a whole lot different eating kind of unhealthy plants either. You know, that's the other thing with us shipping plants and animals all around the world. They lose a ton of nutrition as they get shipped because they're stored for months on end sometimes. I mean, imagine an onion being stored in a cold storage facility for three, four months, and then you get it, that is a nutrient-deprived onion at that point by the time you actually get your hands on it. That's something entirely different. You know, I went and got some Meyer lemons off a Meyer lemon tree the other day, and the difference between fresh-picked Meyer lemons and even Meyer lemons that have sat in a grocery store is otherworldly. Fresh-picked Meyer lemon specifically, is something kind of out of this world, to be quite honest with you. The fact that in December, you can have, at least in my part of the world, a fresh citrus that can kind of cut through the heavier foods that you've been eating is one of the most amazing things. It's got this kind of electricity to it almost. There's something very um, effervescent about it. And if you have like a Meyer lemon tree and have picked fresh Meyer lemons, you'll know exactly kind of what I'm talking about, especially this time of year when it's dark and kind of cold and rainy. Having those fresh lemons just kind of brightens everything up on your palate um, in whatever application you use them in. You know, and you contrast that to lemons you buy in a store and they're just kind of flat. It's like they kind of lose their vitality a little bit and it's just not quite as impactful. It doesn't really, um, it doesn't hit the same, you know, and it's like that with any food that sits around. It's like that with water that sits around. If you've ever harvested your own spring water, that's a water with an energy to it. It's, there's gases, volatile gases in that water. And if that water sits around for a really long time, then it goes flat. That's kind of a weird analogy, but if you've ever harvested spring water, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, if you let that sit for months on end, it's like drinking kind of bottled water or something. Like it's just, things go flat. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times by the time, if you're buying grocery store produce, whether it's fruit or vegetables or 
any food in the grocery store for that matter, unless it's really fresh. Most of the time, you're getting really um, pretty old food and stuff that is losing nutrition by the day, which then in turn your nutrient diversity suffers. So you have this kind of kingdom diversity leads to species diversity, and you need to eat those in season to keep nutrient diversity. You see what I'm getting at with that? So eating seasonally not only means that you're going to be getting different species because you're not going to be eating species that aren't in season, but it's going to be timed so your body's primed to receive that nutrition and it's going to be heightened nutrition because it's not going to be sitting around for weeks on end. Does that make sense? Because your body follows ecology. You're quite literally connected to the seasons. So as seasons change, as we slip into winter, you'll want to shift towards foods that are going to support your body through this season. So heavier fats, more meat, some root vegetables, right? Parsnips, which are in that same carrot family, right? Celeries, things that hold up and can be stored and maintain their nutrition in this particular season. And there's always combinations of things that grow within the same season to support one another. So for example, there are particular roots that heighten people's digestive enzymes and cultures where they ate vegetarian. They were consuming a lot of grain, a lot of legumes, really heavy carbohydrate, starch-rich foods. They realized that they needed some help digesting those things. So they found medicinal roots, such as asphatida, which is in the carrot family, coincidentally, that actually helps digest those heavy legumes and starches that often comes with vegetarian types of cuisine. So this root was actually able to raise their digestive enzymes to break down those heavy carbohydrates and, and starchy foods. So it's little things like that where you need to tune in to what you're trying to balance. And often there are kind of allies that can help you do those things. I mean, I don't think most vegetarians or vegans in Western countries realize that throughout most of the world where they Historically, we're eating more plant foods, heavier carbohydrate foods. They needed help digesting those foods. Most vegans and vegetarians aren't thinking about that. I doubt that most vegans or vegetarians in Western countries even know what asphatita is. They're just thinking that they're getting really good nutritious food. They're not thinking about the actual breakdown of that food. And so having allies and diversifying within those allies to help you accomplish what you're trying to do nutritionally is super important. You know, just like I really enjoy Meyer lemons right now because they're in season and they help kind of break through that fat, you know. So if you can get your hands on really good local citrus, go for it. You know, it's a perfect thing to be eating right now. And you can actually buy as a fatita, as a powder that you can add to vegan or vegetarian cuisine that it really does help kind of those those digestive enzymes and it really does help kind of break down those heavy starches and carbohydrates. Um, that's a good tip for anybody consuming a lot of legumes or vegan or vegetarian cuisine. Sometimes you need some help and there's things out there often that you can go to that will help you with a lot of different kind of niche nutritional needs. And that's the whole point of diversity. And this idea of actual diversity, not just eating kind of, you know, 30 species a year, which is on average what the Western 
diet consists of, whereas ancestrally, that was about 300 species, 200 to 300 species. So we've cut that down by so many factors, you know, and a lot of people are even more narrow than 30 species a year, which is very sad. And your body is absolutely going to suffer for it. There's no way around it. There's just not enough going in, you know, and like some, like an analogy as simple as a population over consuming legumes and carbohydrates, they needed tools to remedy that, but they were smart enough to realize they needed help. And that's the difference, right? A lot of us don't even realize there's an issue. We just see colorful things in the grocery store and we think they're all different and we think they're all going to be really good for us. And most of the time, people don't even really know what they're doing, unfortunately, because we don't know things about goitrogens or, you know, that the brassica family has these compounds in it that can cause iodine deficiency or that, you know, nightshades are really that toxic. I mean, most people realize that there's something going on with nightshades, but they're going to eat potatoes regardless. Most Again, most people don't realize potatoes and tomatoes and eggplant are all the same. Understanding these very, very basic concepts is very crucial to your health and nutrition. And I never blame anybody for not knowing this stuff. I mean, it's not things that people learn. They don't teach it really too much in a conventional nutrition program. It's very rare that you would even get this instruction. So, you know, the people saying things like, you know, eat with your eyes, eat a variety of color, that's kind of what they've come up with because, you know, they don't, a lot of people don't really understand the basic difference between species diversity and phenotypic diversity. And that really honestly stems from a lack of actually growing and producing your own food. If you've never taken part in sowing seeds and raising them up for crops or any type of animal husbandry or anything like that, you won't really understand these concepts. You know, so the fact that we're so divorced from producing our own food, or at least going and getting food in the wild, that's where these ideas start to stem from. It's just a lack of understanding. And as a nutritionist, that's a key concept to understand. I mean, if you don't understand that as a nutritionist, then uh, you've really missed a big piece of this whole thing, and you're going to be doing a disservice to people that you're trying to educate. Okay, so to kind of sum all this up, if you eat all five kingdoms of life, so eat as many species as you can get in in the animal kingdom, you know, keep a varied diet. Don't just eat chicken, beef, fish, you know, throw in some other poultry, throw in some duck or quail or pheasant or, you know, pigeon. Throw in some other red meat, buffalo, venison, whatever is local to you that you can get that's fresh or that you can hunt. You know, throw in different species of fish, you know, in the plant kingdom. Diversify your plants according to season. Try to find unique species that you've never eaten or worked with or necessarily even heard of. Something like azafoetida. You know, when it comes to fungi, oh my goodness, there are thousands of species in that kingdom, species that haven't even been named yet. That is a kingdom that is open for interpretation, an extreme amount. So much diversity in that kingdom. You can get so many different types of mushrooms. Go crazy in that kingdom, because that's a kingdom that needs to be sussed out more than it has been.
This time of year, I love getting medicinal mushrooms in, things like chaga and reishi. Those are staples in my diet right now. They're going to help build your immunity and keep things far more regulated than if you don't have them in your diet. You know, bacteria ferment some of those vegetables for the wintertime. This is a perfect time to be eating fermented vegetables. The best time. You're getting extra bacteria species in your gut to help you break down the heavier animal proteins that you should be consuming right now. The protist, eat those seaweeds. Eat that Irish moss. You know, get diversity in that kingdom too. You know, if you do that and you try to vary your species out in each kingdom, your body will thank you and it's going to respond in kind. And obviously these are just kind of quick examples I can throw at you guys, but start thinking about it. Start thinking about your taste preference and what you want and what you enjoy eating and go from there. Start exploring a little bit, but just think in terms of eating all five kingdoms of life getting really good species diversity in all of those kingdoms. And that's going to give good nutrient diversity and good microbiome diversity. That's all there is to it. It's pretty simple if you break it down that way. It gives you a good roadmap and it gives you a foundation to go back to. If you slip off of that, that's okay. But you'll have an idea and you have something to go back to. You have a lens to kind of look through when it comes to actual diversity in your diet. You're not just, quote-unquote, eating the rainbow. I don't really even know what that means. It doesn't make any sense. Not in ecological sense, anyway. It makes sense when you haven't thought about this type of thing. But it doesn't make sense when you actually start to look into it. It falls apart very quickly. So understanding these things are, is vital to keeping you healthy and your nutrition robust and lasting throughout each season because they're all going to be different. But as we come into winter, start thinking about this a little bit. Okay, that is going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Happy winter solstice. I will be back in two weeks. I'm going to take a week off. I'm going to be traveling and seeing friends and family for the holidays, and I'll talk to you guys then. Happy holidays. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, leave me a rating and review. This will ensure that people can find the podcast so that we can grow the audience, and it will help me secure guests for future episodes. If you have suggestions on what you want to hear on upcoming episodes, go to AncestralElements.com and leave me a comment. I would love to hear your guys' thoughts and inputs and answer any questions that you may have. 